Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we come into God's presence to praise Him and to declare His foundation is firm, we also admit that ours is not, that we have fallen short of God's glory. God's Word calls us to confess our sins. 1 Corinthians 12 is our call to confession this morning. Hear God's Word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Thus far the reading of God's word. Paul compares the church to a body with different parts in this chapter. The body can be a source of great pleasure and also of a lot of pain. And relationships are the same way. Those you are closest to can betray you the deepest. But Paul reminds us that we are baptized into a body, into the church. We may not despise or ignore other members. We are to love each other as Christ has loved us. So today we're going to be welcoming new members and baptizing some of them. And it's a joyful time to remember that God washes us and he welcomes us. And our calling to each other is similar. We're called to help each other get clean, to stay clean, to get cleaner. And we're called to receive each other lovingly. So that's our call to confession this morning. Let's confess our sins before Almighty God. Please kneel if you're able, and we will confess our sins together. Father, we thank you for this word. It's precious to us. Uh, we uh, read much of it each Lord's Day uh, because this is your word. This is you speaking to us. And we pray, Lord, that uh, this word, as it tells us, uh, would even now be living and active, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, uh, piercing, convicting, encouraging, restoring, we thank you for this, uh, for your uh, Spirit's work in uh, writing these words down and the Spirit's work uh, illuminating to us what it means. Help us to see your Son Jesus in it today. We pray in his name. Amen. First Samuel 19, hear God's word. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. 
You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed, that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, with the pillows of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go, why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah, and came to the great well that is in Saku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Nioth in Ramah. And he went there to Nioth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied, until he came to Nioth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel. And lay naked all that day and all that night. And thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as a pastor that studies and puts together sermons every week, and also as a child of the 80s, who went to public school, I sometimes have some interesting thoughts that come into my head when I'm studying scripture. And one of them this week was an old rock song called We All Need a Little Shelter. I don't know if you remember that song. Might not want to Google it. It's not the best, most edifying kind of activity for a Sunday. But that's the basic theme this week. We all need a little shelter. And David finds refuge. He finds shelter in several ways in this text, uh, all uh, coming ultimately from uh, God, the God of Israel. David needed shelter from Saul, and he gets that shelter in four ways. Uh, Saul is uh, coming after David more and more intensely. The, the, the chase, the pursuit is getting more and more acute. 
So we have four uh, kind of sections here today, the four protections that God gives uh, to David. Now, the first one is the protection of a friend's persuasion. Right? Jonathan steps up, and Jonathan uh, makes known to David that, that Saul is out to kill him. Uh, Saul wants, uh, has already revealed this to his inner circle, uh, and Jonathan, uh, in a sense, betrays Saul his father, because he is loyal to David. So Jonathan and Michael both, Michael, David's wife now, uh, both make known to David Saul's plans. And both times, David's got to flee, and he runs away. David flees for refuge. Uh, So let's look at protection one, the friend's persuasion. Jonathan makes known what Saul is going to do. And that's, and that's something that we ought to consider. We, we ought to make known our thoughts, our desires to others, especially when they're involved. Uh, we, need to, we need to speak. There's a time when speech is required. We, we've got to say something. And Jonathan sees that this is one of those times. He intercedes for David against his father. And that, too, is something that Jesus tells us is going to happen. Remember, there's a lot of connections between David and Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. That's one of the most noted phrases that describes Jesus. So Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to divide people. And he does. And he even says, I'm going to set a father against a son, a mother against a daughter. That's going to happen because the father's going to come to me in faith and the son doesn't. And then there, there's a division there. And Jesus is okay with that because he is the, the Son of God. He is the one to whom we must be loyal above all else. Jonathan sees that in David, that he needs to be loyal to David, even if it means opposing his father. Uh, many who come to Christ today uh, have to make that awful choice. And their families uh, sometimes turn against them. But they are faithful uh, to Christ. So we also have another interesting dynamic here. This is a father-son thing. This, this is Saul and Jonathan, right? And the father is the one who's off the rails. It's really interesting. We, we tend to think of, of Bible times. You know, people um, outside the church often speak of the Bible as, as this old patriarchal book, right? And we tend to think that in Bible times, people were absolutely patriarchal, that the father of the clan's word is law and always goes, it's not the case. We see it right here. Uh, the son uh, intercedes, opposes the father, and the father gets it, at least for a minute. It's like, okay, you're right. So uh, there you have an interesting situation, too. Sometimes when, when, you're, when you're following the, the son of David, you're going to find yourself needing to speak to your parents or, or to, to older friends and say, I think we ought to be doing this, not that. Uh, and, and you find yourself in different situations like this. So in this first section here, you see God's protecting David with Jonathan's wise words of persuasion. He makes quite the speech there in verses 5 to 7 or so. Uh, why would you kill David? What's he done to you? And, and that's, you know, Saul's whole motivation here is envy and jealousy. David's killed ten thousands, as the song went. Saul, only thousands. Uh, Saul doesn't want to give up the throne. But it's, uh, it's an ungodly desire that's, that Saul is pursuing. So Jonathan temporarily uh, persuades Saul uh, to call off the attack. Uh, but then you have the Philistines come in again. David wins more victories. Notice that David goes out to fight, but Saul doesn't. It doesn't mention Saul going out to fight. He's sitting home with his spear. David's the one who goes out and fights and wins against the Philistines. 
I think Saul ought, should have been fighting the Philistines. And that gets interesting because in the next book of Samuel, you have David who stays home when he should be fighting. And then you have the whole Bathsheba incident that arises from that. So there's a time to not stay home. Get out there and fight. And Saul uh, fails at that point here. So the Philistines are struck. They flee from David. But then David goes home, goes to Saul's house, and then David is almost struck. And David has to flee from Saul. So what you have here is the victor, David. He's being treated like a Philistine by Saul. Saul's getting it all wrong. Saul is fighting the people that he should be helping, and he's leaving alone the people that he should be fighting. So Saul is showing himself in a very poor light here, especially at the beginning, too, where he makes this oath, right, that he's not going to pursue David and put him to death, but then three verses later, he's pursuing him to put him to death. Saul's very changeable, makes a lot of rash oaths and, and promises, but doesn't keep any of them. He's all over the map. So, uh, Saul also has a bad aim with a spear, we, we learn, right? He's trying to kill David several times. David is able to get away. And you know, we, we don't know there if, it, if the text is, there's a slight hint that it's David's agility that gets him out of it. But we don't know. Maybe it's, it's Saul's bad aim, too. God protects David here, the second section, with Saul's bad aim. Uh, the enemy's misaction, it goes awry. And we often pray for this. We, we pray against God's enemies sometimes. And we do that because the Psalms uh, point us in that direction. That's what the Psalms do. That's what David does right here. You saw in Psalm 59 how he talks about they come back howling, growling like dogs, looking for their fill, trying to, trying to take me out. And we, we often pray, and just as David did, like in the Psalms, that God would frustrate their plans. Don't let them succeed. And that's an appropriate thing to pray uh, against God's enemies. We don't want their agenda to be carried out. But we want them to be frustrated. So Saul's bad aim is one way that God protects David. And notice that this is David coming back home from the war, right? This ought to be a time of refuge itself. Uh, coming back home to your king, Saul, after you win a great victory, that ought to be a a sigh of relief kind of moment, a, a, a victory, a celebration. But instead, he, he's getting spears thrown at him. And that's the son of David again as well. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Home wasn't a refuge. He was pursued and treated as an enemy. Uh, and so uh, David flees. And, and there's a time to flee. There are times to retreat in the present so that you can advance elsewhere in the future. We see that throughout Scripture. Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Joseph tempted there in Egypt by Potiphar's wife. He runs out of the house. There's a time to just flee. Just get out of that situation. Living by faith it doesn't mean never retreating no matter what. We need to be prudent. We can retreat wrongly too, of course, out of fear or cowardice, but Jesus himself goes and walks in Galilee instead of Judea because they're seeking to kill him in Judea. Well, that's the second protection, the enemy's misaction. So God's protecting David here through the friend's persuasion, Jonathan, uh, through uh, Saul's um, kind of chaotic behavior and bad aim, and then third, through his wife's deception. Uh, Michael 
deceives her father, Saul. So, uh, Jonathan and Michael, again, are similar here. When you love and respect someone, you share things with them that they need to know. And Jonathan does that, and now Michael does the same thing. And this is in verse, um, where did it go? 11, I believe. Yes, Uh, Michael, David's wife, told him, if you don't escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Which is quite a thing. This is the daughter of Saul, so you have a son and a daughter here. Both of them are helping David instead of their father because they know their father's off the rails. He's doing the wrong thing. There's a time to oppose those we love the most in order to get them back on track with the Lord. So Michael says, you got to get out of here now. I know my father. You'll be dead by the morning. This is quite striking. So David flees. She does this little, little trick where you, you see this in the movies all the time, right? Put a bunch of pillows under the bed so it looks like the guy's sleeping. What's the movie? Fer- Ferris Bueller? Didn't he do that? He puts, puts all the, the recording on so that when the door opens, then sounds like he's snoring. Oh, yeah, he's in there. That's, that's what Michael does uh, to fake out Saul's messengers. Messenger here is an interesting word. These are soldiers, right? This is like an arrest warrant, and he's, uh, his life is at stake. So... Michael is deceiving these uh, soldiers. And this is what you have to do if you're fleeing from a king who's trying to kill you. It's going to involve deception. The the midwives in Egypt uh, did this with Pharaoh when Pharaoh told them to kill uh, the baby boys. They deceived the king. Jesus fled from Herod. Uh, The wise men don't tell Herod about Jesus. Uh, Rahab deceives the king of Jericho and, and lets the, the Israel, Israel's spies go. Michael is like Rahab. They, they, they both send the, the servants the wrong way. They let the spies out through the window. We know Jericho is doomed to fall, as is Saul. Saul has put himself in the position of being a Canaanite, a Philistine. But those who identify with Israel, with Yahweh, with God's anointed, they are spared. Rahab was spared. Michael is spared here. We are spared as we are loyal to David, to David's son, Jesus, uh, to the God of the Bible. So uh, they're deceiving Saul here. And it's, it's, something, it's an interesting ethical question that we don't have time to go into right now. But there was a time when Jesus uh, was <coughs> ministering And he knew that the authorities in Judea wanted to arrest him and kill him. So one ethical question to ask is, was Jesus required to turn himself in once he knew the lawful authorities were seeking to arrest and kill him? Don't think so. It's not what he does. He goes back to Galilee. Uh, also interesting, and not much time to spend on this, but these, uh, this uh, image that Michael has in verse 13, uh, she has some kind of, uh, it, it's a household god is what it is. Uh, we've been reading about this a little bit in the source, but it's probably not the, the fertility sort of idol, but it is some kind of household god that they probably should not have had in that house, in, in a house that's uh, loyal to God, uh, where we had a second commandment, that says, no graven images. That's what this was, it was a graven image. And it's, I think it's part of the impact of Saul's spiritual life uh, on his daughter there. But interesting that that's in David's house. 
probably ought not to have been. Uh, we don't know a lot about it, but that's, that adds some uh, color to the whole picture of David and Michael and Saul. Well, that's the, the third protection, that uh, God protects David here through his wife's deception, and he gets away while she delays the messengers with this ruse. The fourth protection is the one that's directly from the Spirit, the Spirit's intervention. Right? So uh, you, you can't hide forever. It's a small country. Uh, Saul is really out to get David. He's got his spies everywhere. So he finds out eventually that David is with Samuel in Ramah. This is uh, near Samuel's hometown. Remember, Samuel has pretty much retired by now. But, but David's got nowhere else to go. This is his last earthly resort to go to Samuel. And so that's what he does. Notice that Samuel sides with David. He hides him. He protects him as best he can. But once, once they go to Nioth instead of Ramah, which we don't know the geography, but it's some better hiding place, I suppose. Once Samuel does that, Samuel doesn't do much else. Samuel drops out of the picture. And the whole rest of this uh, story is, is just fascinating, where the, the soldiers of Saul come, but the Spirit comes on them. And so they prophesy. And so they don't arrest David. Similar kind of thing happens, remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested. At first he says, I am, and the soldiers all fall down on the ground. Very similar kind of thing with the son of David. Well, again, Samuel doesn't do much. It's the Spirit of God that comes on Saul's soldiers. So this is something to learn about God's protection of us. God uses several different ways to protect us, to protect David here. But this last one, what he does is just intervenes directly. God could use Samuel, but he doesn't. He bypasses the person of Samuel and just simply directly pours out his spirit on Saul and his messengers and restrains them and subjects them to God's own will. Right? If the Spirit comes on you, you're going to prophesy. It's like an irresistible kind of thing. Right? Uh, it, once again, Saul it mentions him uh, removing his clothing. The point there, is, I, I think, is that his royal robe comes off and, and that he's vulnerable uh, to the Spirit's action. So uh, here you have the fourth and last protection, the Spirit's direct intervention. And it's something for us to consider in, our, in the life of faith because this is what happens when one becomes a Christian. The Spirit comes upon us, persuades us, draws our heart to love and serve Jesus Christ. And and there's an irresistibility to that. that The the Spirit needs to to conquer our sinful hearts and desires and ways. Because if if He um, leaves it to us and to our free will, we would never come to Him. There there needs to be this overcoming of, of of a will, all of our wills, that are hostile to God. And, and the Spirit overcomes that. It's a very different way of thinking than the modern person. Uh, I've been known to watch an episode of Star Trek or two, and the original series was always kind of the same thing, right? The setup was always some alien shows up, and then all of a sudden the Enterprise can't move, and, and Kirk can't control the Enterprise. And that was the problem. Then the spooky music plays, and you go to commercial, because that's the cliffhanger. Oh no, I'm out of control. Something else is, is controlling me right now. Oh no, that's a huge problem. Well, if it's the Spirit of God that's doing that, that's what we want. We want the Spirit of God to, to overcome us 
and to turn us back to him. God needs to take control of us so we don't do what we want. That's salvation. It's a completely opposite way of thinking than, than the world usually thinks. We don't, we don't in, in the end, we don't want self-autonomy. We don't want to be self-directed. We want to be God-directed because he's the one who made us in the first place. So that's what we're after. And we see in the world all over the place today ways in which people are trying to be self-directing and, and self-defining. I'm going to be this, you know, I'm going to be that, and I don't care what my nature, what my body says I am, I'm saying I'm going to do this. But God has uh, set us uh, in a world with, with boundaries and certain designs. We need to follow those. Anyway, that's the fourth protection. The Spirit overwhelms, directly intervenes uh, in even Saul himself and his soldiers. Well, the, the, the theme here is the protection of God and how we flee for refuge to it. And we sang this in the opening song. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. That's what we've done. That's what makes you a Christian. You flee to Jesus for refuge. We need protection. Now, there are times we need protection from a Saul, like David does. But what we ultimately need protection from is God himself. Because God is fair, and he's just. And, he's, and he, we saw this in the uh, membership vows that, that the Waldrons took a few minute, minutes ago. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner, worthy of eternal punishment apart from salvation in Christ? That's real. The Bible says it's real. And God needs to, will, uh, punish us for our sins. We need refuge from that. That's what Passover is all about, right? The angel of death passes over. It doesn't bring that punishment as long as the blood of the lamb is on your door. So we put the blood of the lamb. Uh, we, we claim that for our lives. We ask God to pass us by, to spare us. So we do all need a little shelter. God is indeed our refuge, our strength, a present help in trouble. Uh, check out Psalm 59 once again, where we read uh, this morning. Uh, read that again this afternoon. Notice all the times David calls God his fortress, his refuge. And he runs to him when he needs help. People of God, you have come to Mount Zion, the gathering of the saints. This is your city of refuge. Hebrews describes us as those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Look to the son of David who sought refuge with his father, who now provides refuge. It's only in union with Christ that we have refuge from the just punishment for our sins. So God protects us in many ways in our lives. Ultimately, he does this at the cross of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing it to us, for the uh, fascinating stories we can read about David and Jonathan and Michael, and the, how it shows us the ways that you are dealing with us as well. Thank you for all the ways that you have protected us. In just this past week, uh, we know only a fraction of them, but you are a, a gracious, a guiding, uh, a protective uh, Heavenly Father. So we thank you for that. And we lift up now in song the Lord's Prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, who is the Lord.
we come to the Lord's table, I'll be reading first from 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This morning, some of us are receiving communion for the first time today. This is really special. Others have been taking communion every week for 20 years. Don't take this for granted. I knew a, a heard of a woman once who was in her 70s, who came, had been coming to church every week, but never felt worthy enough to partake of communion, and was finally taught it's, it's okay, it's what God wants. And for the first time in her 70s, she took communion. This is really special. It's not a magic relic that saves you in itself, but God here is giving you confirmation that you are his, that you are favored by him. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you're acknowledging that you're a sinner except in the, uh, without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God that you are trusting in Jesus Christ for alone for salvation. So come and welcome to Jesus. The body of Christ broken for you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.